Hey, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So today with me on the line, I have Montreal Canadiens play-by-play, Brian Mudrick. Uh, before starting the interview, I just want to get, uh, just want to ask you, how are you doing? Hey, Michael, thanks for asking. Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I think big picture, I feel lucky to uh, be healthy and, uh, you know, be feeling okay and getting as much exercise as I can in and trying to stay busy during this time. I'm sure a lot of people out there are, um, yeah, it's been tough and tough for a lot of reasons, whether it's, you know, are people employed or putting food on the table or if you have loved ones that are doctors or nurses, um, even at the grocery store, right? So, yeah, I think tough times for everybody, but uh, I count my blessings uh, that I have my health, which is first and foremost uh, a priority and, and we're good. So uh, my pleasure to spend some time with you today. Awesome. Uh, well, what or who inspired you to get into sports journalism? Oh, um, probably, you know what, Michael, I loved sports growing up as a kid, like most uh, Canadian kids growing up. I grew up in a little town and uh, we played everything growing up. Um, I mean, I, I grew up uh, working at a golf course, a nine hole golf course. So I, I would golf in the summertime. I love baseball. Uh, I grew up by a lake, so I got to go wakeboarding and fishing with my um, with my grandpa growing up. So sports in a small town, a little three-sheeter curling rink and the hockey rink in town. So I love sports at a young age. I'd, I'd say I was about 14 or 15, and I just started to think a little bit about like what I wanted to do in my life. And uh, I wasn't given the uh, God-given 95-mile-an-hour left-handed arm for baseball. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Sports uh, broadcasting might be an opportunity for me. And when I was 16, I started driving uh, my little town. It's called Boyle, Alberta, which is north of Edmonton, about an hour and 40 minutes. So I started volunteering at Shaw Cable uh, years ago. And uh, I did everything from audio to camera work to pulling cable to whatever they'd want me to do um, to get some hands-on experience. And that sort of opened my eyes up and kind of sparked that passion a bit more. And I guess the rest is history. So more, more myself, I, I, I thought that'd be a way to stay connected to sport, uh, knowing I wasn't going to make the major leagues or anything. So that was sort of the next uh, uh, thought process in, in my decision. And, and here we are. Well, they always say, if you can't play for the major leagues, you might as well work for them. <laughs> Something like that. Sure. Yeah. So would you say that while working at uh, Shaw Cable, it was just an internship? It was basically back then it was I was volunteering. It wasn't even really an internship. And um, those opportunities are actually tough to come by even Um, through that. uh, I got into Nate, which is the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology in Edmonton. Uh, It was a two year program, broadcasting uh, program. Um, And during that time, I was lucky enough to get a part time job at back then. It was called ITV and it's now called Global Television. Um, in Edmonton and I got to write sports highlights um, back in the day uh, which was pretty cool it was kind of like working in a newsroom and seeing like how a news cast was put together every night and then my little part of you know writing highlights for the sports guys there uh, that was instrumental and just sort of learning the ropes you can go to school and uh, like anything real life experience I don't think there's anything better so that was uh, really huge for me while I was going to college to get to have that opportunity to learn Right. So then, uh, did you play any sports, uh, whether it was in high school or university? Oh, yeah. I, I played as, um, I mean, competitively. Um, I played baseball fairly competitively. I played in a, a Little League Nationals one year. I played 
I was scouted for some AAA teams. We won provincials, double A, single A. I played on a small um, team out of Wasetna, and it was a tiny town, but we had a lot of good baseball players, and we all would come from kind of small communities and played on that team. And uh, we ended up beating a lot of teams, double A AA and triple A teams, in preparing us for our provincials. So I played baseball um, uh, pretty competitively. Uh, I curled on the Nate team for Jules Ochar. Uh, I redshirted on the volleyball team. I battled uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, though, a form of cancer, uh, my first year of college. So that was uh, <laughs> threw a wrench into a lot of things for me, unfortunately. But yeah, I was always athletic. I played high school volleyball and basketball and badminton and whatever, whatever I could do. I was the uh, runner-up chess champion in Alberta in grade five. Um, so I, I love, I love to be competitive. I like to compete at everything. And, uh, so, and the sports broadcasting, I would say journey and this job is competitive because there's not a lot of jobs, not a lot mm -hmm. of people say that they get to be the voice of the Montreal Canadians for TSN. So I feel privileged and, and honored, but I've, but I've worked for it. So then how did you start out with TSN? Um, so that was. Uh, I mean, a lot of it is is making relationships and a lot of hard work. At the time, I was, I would have been at CTV Edmonton, and I actually went to the Briar in Saskatoon. I believe that was 2003 or four. Don't quote me on the year. Anyways, I think it was 2003, um, and we were covering Randy Furby's team, uh, and that was the year they lost in the final to Mark Dacey, whatever that year was. Anyway, I think that was 2003. So. Uh, I taught, we were doing a story, uh, we did like sports stories and news stories, and uh, there, Paul McLean at the time was the producer, and I asked Paul if we could talk to Vic Router and do sort of some newsy stuff as well, because we were trying to cover both uh, news and sports, light stuff, to, to make it worth our while to go to uh, from Edmonton. And after we did some of the stuff, uh, Paul said, hey, would you be interested in doing sidelines for the CFL and TSN? I was like, you know... I was 22 years old and wide-eyed. I'm like, absolutely. So I gave him my card or my contact info, and Paul got back to me a month later. And uh, Mac, everyone called him Mac, and he was a big reason I got to do sidelines. So Ryan Rashog and I worked together at CTV Edmonton at the time. So Ryan would do the Eskimo sideline. I would do the other one, depending on the visiting team. And mm -hmm. that was sort of my step in the door. And, uh, and Mac, he, he passed away as a young guy of cancer. Um, and I'll never forget that he was a guy who, um, you know, helped me get in my foot in the door. And then from there, uh, the, the gentleman who hired me was Mark Millier was his name at the time. And he, he hired me aboard years later after the hockey strike, they were looking for an anchor on the weekends. And originally he'd offered me a job reporting. Uh, and I said, I, I told him, I said, I, I want to anchor. Um, so I actually turned him down the first time people thought it was crazy, but, uh, it all worked out and, uh, I was hired at TSN, uh, full time as a reporter anchor in 2005. And then from there, you know, you just try to, um, get more opportunities and take advantage of them. Yeah. That's, uh, that's quite the story that you got there turning down someone for, uh, just to be, cause you had the focus of just being an anchor. So you turned down the other job. My my personal it wasn't like a fear or anything, but Mark Mark was the the main guy. He was one of the the uh, top gentlemen at TSN for hiring, and he knew who I was, and I guess what I and I I even asked him at the time. I remember as many years ago, and I just said, I, I didn't want to go to a city in Canada and be pigeonholed as a reporter. And right, I thought, yeah. he thought I was talented enough. I said to be with all due respect, I'd rather stay anchoring at CTV Edmonton 
and continue to get reps and to get better at anchoring um, so that I could be an anchor. Like I, that, that was kind of my goal at the time is to be an anchor and a reporter. And uh, yeah, I mean, turning that a reporter job down uh, was really tough because you think, oh man, I just said no to this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Mark, to his credit at the time, you know, believed in me and, um, and it worked out. So I, 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 and I bet on myself that I wanted to continue on the path I was on getting more experience anchoring and, and it worked out. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just want to admire the fact that you were diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, the cancer, uh, when you were 19 years old during uh, college. Uh, you were able to overcome it and stay strong, creating a, a career for yourself. Uh, I find that just remarkably admirable. Uh, how did you manage it with having hockey goals in mind? Uh, well, thanks, Michael. It's very kind of you to say. Um, my first my first brush with it was I was 17, and I was just I had been accepted to Nate. Uh, to start the program in January of that year. They, they took you kids either in September or January, and uh, I got in in the second wave. But um, the day that we were supposed to go register was my first day of chemotherapy and in Edmonton. I went to the Cross Cancer Institute. So my dad went, and my to this day, I la- we laugh about the story. My uh, teacher, Chris Durham, who's still there at me, saw my dad, Bob. He goes, oh, you're a little kind of an old guy to be here. something. <laughs> broadcasting school and my dad explained to him after what like he was here it was really hard to get into that school um i think for every 30 people that got in they turned away 500 oh so wow get into the program and i didn't want to lose my spot so right it's yeah. a grind i had to go the first my first year i would go for chemotherapy and radiation and, I, and then i you know uh go to school as well so i was really exhausting and i was tired and um the one year I did get to curl provincials for juniors with the Nate team, uh, I prolonged my treatment to, so I could play uh, in the provincials, which was uh, which was a highlight for me back then to get to curl uh, for the college and to do that. And when I had a relapse, I was already in Lloyd Minster. So I was in Lloyd Minster doing my first job. It was a practicum to start and it was news and radio and there was no sports jobs back then. There were not many, like it was hard to get into sports. So um, I had been at uh, Lloyd Minster. I was doing news and radio. And on the weekends, I would work on my sports demo reel, like basically volunteering. But I would go with a camera, shoot my stories, and that would help me. And they loved it. It was free work, right? They could run mm-hmm. sports stories on the weekends. So that's sort of how I got more experience doing sports. And then I had a relapse of my cancer. So I had to go back into the hospital. And the people in Lloyd Minster were great. Um, and eventually, I had to beat it a second time. And it was a lot more serious. And then I got back to Lloyd Minster. And uh, if that experience taught me anything, Michael, it was like to really never take anything for granted, whether it's your health, um, your opportunities in your life. And that really pushed, I think that was a huge driving factor for me um, to not slow down and to not um, take, take anything for granted and put my foot on the gas with my career and really try to work hard. And I think that's, uh, I think it's a big part of who I am as a person too. It, it can't help but change you when you're a young person and you're 17 or 18 and you're told that you may not live. Yeah. That's, that's uh, tough. Yeah. So I think it makes you stronger mentally. I think it, it makes you focus. It makes you appreciate what you have. And, and uh, I, I tell people all the time, every time, every single time I walk into the bell center and I walk up through the rafters and I see the banners and the history and the retired numbers. And I get into that broadcast booth, like never does it get old. Never do I, take it for granted and i just i absolutely love every single show you started a cancer research fund right 
Uh, I started it. Yeah, it was sort of. It, I started a golf tournament when I was when I was the second time when I was finally released and uh, I beat the cancer the second time. Uh, it's my mom's favorite story. She wheeled me out of the hospital and I was probably 149 pounds soaking wet and really obviously lost a ton of weight and was very sick. And I told her in the wheelchair as I'm getting pushed out that I wanted to raise a million dollars someday for that hospital. And she laughed and said, why don't you put on 10 pounds first? Uh, <laughs> and um, after, I think, our 10th or 11th year, we hit the million-dollar mark of a, a golf tournament that I put on in Alberta. And we made $1.8 million wow. overall over 15 years. And we raised money for equipment in the hospital. Uh, I think research is great and it's important. But um, I always found it more... Um, the word rewarding so all of it's rewarding but like you could literally tell people if your uncle or your cousin or your loved one was going into the hospital i could say that we were raising money for this certain machine or piece of equipment whether it was an x-ray type machine or something to help uh, along the process uh, a microscope we raised money for one year that was really expensive uh, so that's what we raised money for and we gave out scholarships to kids that were in uh, post-secondary education so like that's what i that's when i was going through it so we give out scholarships we started with one scholarship for a thousand dollars and we ended up giving five out a year because so many kids would apply and mm -hmm. you'd hear their stories and they were remarkable. I mean, some of them, I had a cancer. I was lucky that was um, beatable or curable. And my mom met a lot of families when I was in isolation and sick there that didn't have that same opportunity, um, which was sad. So it's nice to give back and those kids would come back and be our guest speakers at the golf tournament going forward every year. And I've met some remarkable young people and some of their stories were, were just phenomenal to hear their strength and perseverance through it. You must have just felt so happy when you reached that goal that you had set out for so long. You know what, Michael? It, yeah, it was melancholy, though, because uh, uh, my brother, um, our last year of the tournament, my brother was our guest speaker because he was diagnosed with an awful form of cancer that three or 5% of the population gets, and he died uh, a year ago, two years ago. He died uh, in December of my first season doing the Montreal Canadiens, uh, and I miss him all the time. Uh, it'll, be, um, it'll be two years. Uh, November 28th, he passed. We buried him early December. So it was tough because we, he was such a huge part of that. Uh, he did a bike ride. Oh, okay. The golf tournament, and so to lose him really really was was just awful um so yeah very proud our family is super proud of the people we've helped and whatnot it just it was just awful to have to lose him uh and it's still you know pretty fresh and his birthday actually would be tomorrow um oh, so wow. it's tough yeah it's, uh we miss him and we honor him and we were going to do one more golf tournament i came out of retirement we did <laughs> one more this summer but this COVID-19, right, just optically, people are, especially in Alberta, where I do the tournament, where I'm from, I mean, people are just fighting for their jobs and food on the table, like, to do a golf tournament, and plus the travel and stuff, so we just postponed it, um, it'll be next year, we hope, uh, and, and we're doing one more tournament just in his memory. Well, I'm sorry to hear that about your brother. My condolences are with you. Um, so moving on to a more lighter side of the yeah. interview. Uh, did you ever see yourself as a play-by-play -play growing up? Or did you ever want to be in a different position, such as like a head coach, for example? That's um, No, I never thought... It's interesting, the coaching aspect, because I 
love when I played. I was I was lucky enough. I was a captain, and I was all I was. I enjoyed leading. I enjoyed, um, you know, holding myself accountable and trying to lift other people up and trying to inspire my teammates. And I was never the kid that had the most talent. Not even close. I was I was always the hardest working one. Um, that was sort of my mo. Uh, I would never let anyone outwork me. Uh, they might be better than me, but um, that was sort of my bulldog attitude. Maybe that was part of my cancer experience. I don't know, but uh, that's one thing that, I, and, and probably instilled from my grandparents and my parents, you know, just the work ethic to, you know, go after what you want, but it's not going to be uh, given to you. So not so much the coaching though. And uh, I just thought broadcasting was a great challenge. Um, as soon as like, you know, three, two, one, boom, like you're live, like it's on you. Yeah. And, uh, play by play, just I just sort of fell in love with it when I was given opportunities to do it. I started hockey play by play, doing things like Hockey Canada events, like the Telus Cup or the you know the girls uh, women's AAA championship or the uh, men's junior A challenge. Then the U18s, the under 18 World Hockey Championship in 2015 was my first sort of full time melee into it, and it's incredible. It's such a like you, you go to Sports Center and it's great. Don't get me wrong, but you already know what happens. Yeah, the highlights in the show, right? You you know the final score. You're telling people, you know the highlights and what happened, which is great. Don't get me wrong; it's a ton of fun to do that show. But like, when you're the person calling the game, you, it could be the Habs could be down four nothing and win five four in overtime, or you might see the goal of the year, or you could see the save of the century. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that. Those are good comparisons. I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, those are good comparisons. That's why live TV and play-by-play, I mean, I'm in love with it. Like, you, uh, I, I could think of certain moments in my first two seasons um, that just stand out that, you know, wow, wow. Like, the, and you'll look at your color guy, whether I work with Mike Johnson and Dave Poolin a lot, and, like, after we'll have a beer or a glass of wine after the game, like, holy man. Like, you know, like, you're like, we were there. Like, it was, yeah. and for them, I mean, they played in the NHL, so they're, they're, <laughs> their stories are way cooler than mine, but... I mean, you know, to be in an arena with an incredible comeback or an amazing goal or something wild happen, like it's that's it's awesome. Yeah, I'd have to say that I would uh, agree with you there that, you know, calling the game is something that it's not natural, but you have to work your way up to it. You know, I you know, one of my favorite things to call too, and it broke it absolutely broke my heart um, when I heard the passing of Colby uh, Cave. And oh, yeah young kid like my goodness you know uh, just so so sad and by all accounts I didn't know him personally but uh, you know the one thing I did Michael I, I called his first NHL goal um, it was against oh Boston. yeah against Boston yeah, yeah yeah and he beat Carey Price and and I always I love I love the under 18s and I love the draft because it takes a village to raise these kids right the billets the families the sacrifice the morning practices on and on so, like, when I see them drafted and I see, though, that emotion of their parents and brothers and sisters and loved ones around, to me, it's, like, just awesome. Because it it's is, yeah. their start of their journey, but it's a, it's a combination of all the hard work. And every time I get to call a player's first NHL goal, I don't care what team they play for. To me, it's almost like I don't want to screw that up. Like, I'll literally go through my notes and, okay, who hasn't scored in the NHL? When Victor Mete finally got his, it's like, whoa, it's like yeah. 127 games, right? But, like, so those moments, like, I just, like, it's special. Like, that's the kid's first ever goal in the National Hockey League. Like, what a moment. All, mm -hmm. 
and that goal you can look back and all the people you could think about or thank after like you've made it you you are a small percentage of somebody who scored a goal in the national hockey league so i think of hit like that young man and how devastating that is for his family um but those are things in moments you talk about moments right like uh, like you don't want to screw those up for somebody you want to make that call or that moment the best you can so when I put the headset on like I feel like there's a big obligation to to really do my best job yeah I gotta say that you did do a good job of calling Colby Cave's uh first goal when Montreal did play Boston in Montreal uh it was quite uh, a scene to see uh so uh you know you've called a lot of events uh to say the least from the olympic games in 2010 to and the olympic games in 2012 to curling to hockey uh how do you deal with the expectations that come with that i think there's an expectation every time uh you show up and i think that's part of the pride of being hired by tsn and i think it's a pride of number one i hold myself to a super high standard uh every single day not as a person and as someone who represents that company and puts on that headset and with the people I work with, number one, that's first and foremost is um, I want to do an outstanding job every time, no matter whether I've had an awful day or an average day, or maybe I'm having a great day, but like people at home, they deserve my best. So that's on me. And I think it's, 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 you know, the people that have come before me, that have worked for TSN or who have sat in the chair or who have done the job. I think that we're, we're pretty privileged to like have that opportunity to make a game that may not be that exciting, but you, Michael at home, I can see you got your Habs hat on. I don't care if it's a four nothing loss. I want to make sure you take something away from that game. Maybe I taught you something. Maybe you learned something about a player you didn't know, or maybe, you know, we were somewhat entertaining, even though the game wasn't. And that would be, that's my goal every every time because when a game is exciting, well then it's a no brainer. You just call the yeah, game exactly. yeah. exciting, but they're not all that way, uh, especially for a team that maybe is is struggling or is in a rebuild. Right, you you know there's going to be some tough seasons and tough games, but it's on you to try make it as exciting as you can. And it's something I I hold to a very uh, high uh, standard in regard for myself and of course representing the people that it, my company and and the people I work with as well. Were you ever nervous calling your first uh, Habs game? Uh, I was, I would be, I could, I'd be honest to say I was nervous early on in my career. Not my first Habs game. You're excited. Like, yeah. are you nervous? Yeah, sure. I, okay. I, I, I don't look at it as nerves though. Do I have like goosebumps and I'm, am I pumped up? Am I like, woo? Yeah, absolutely. I like, no doubt. Like you're fired up, but like, I don't think you're nervous, Michael, because at that point you've 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 worked you worked in Lloydminster and you worked in Winnipeg and you put the reps in and you've you've given you've that's that's what it's all about. You've put your time in so that now that you've been presented this moment, it's go time. It's fun. Like it's, yeah, uh, I bet it is. Yeah, like it's it's awesome, right? Like that's so yeah. But like of course, every home opener. Are you kidding me? A Montreal Canadian season opener at home against like the Leafs, of- possibly. Uh, well, it, it just like that vibe is um, actually I'm bad luck. I'm 0 for 2 in their home openers. They lost <laughs> uh, that I've felt. But I, but you know what I mean, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. there's there's yes, of course. I don't know if we get nervous anymore. I think you're just jacked up because you're excited to whether I'm hosting a Briar final or a Scotty's final or the Olympics and whichever year. I think you're just I think you're just excited. Like it's 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 a thrill. It's awesome. 
Right, yeah. So moving on, uh, prior to the 2018-19 NHL season, uh, TSN appointed you as the regional play-by-play. Uh, what was that call like, and what were your feelings? Oh, lots of emotions. It was, I was, I actually found out, so John Bartlett, it was John's job, and yeah. he left to go back to Sportsnet for the Leafs regionals, and so that, there, obviously, there is an opening. Um, I found out about it during a golf tournament at my golf club. Uh, that he'd left. And then I got a phone call from my boss, uh, Paul Graham, and he asked me to come by the office. And I, and I, obviously he knew I was interested and I'd done my, my kind of opportunity was during the Pyeongchang Olympics because the Ottawa senators, um, both um, Chris Cuthbert and Gord Miller went to the Olympics. So there was about 12 to 13 Ottawa games that had to be called. And I was lucky enough to get that call, that opportunity. So that was kind of my foot in the door to do a good job and, um, and I will always have a soft spot for Ottawa and for Montreal because my first ever game I called was a preseason game between those two teams in Ottawa. So that, that's something I'll always remember. And, um, yeah, he called me in the office and he basically said, uh, do you want the job? And I was like, Whoa, yeah. And he's like, all right, don't screw it up. Get to work. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, that's awesome. So it was, it was, it was amazing, but it was, that was probably September 2nd and the preseason started September 15th. So it was just like, go. So <laughs> quick like, turnaround and i got to tell my uh my brother before he passed away he was one of the first people uh i was flying to alberta the next day anyways to see family and to see him and i have two nephews his two boys so i got to tell them in person the news and that was that was a pretty cool memory he wasn't doing well at the time and he got out of his chair and he walked across the room and gave me a hug so it was a good it was a cool moment for my family to to get the job something you will never forget Correct. I will never forget uh, that uh, the day Paul gave me the gig and, and telling my family. It was pretty cool. So how busy is your life during the NHL season for you? <laughs> Michael, I've learned, you know what I've learned? I'm awful at quarantine. Like, I am terrible at it. I, I went from, I love, I'm the best version of myself when I am beyond busy. I've learned that from this. Um, it's 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 so hectic, but it's awesome. Like it's what I signed up for. It's what I've worked my whole life for, right? It's uh, there was one stretch this year where I, we had back to back games. Uh, uh, we did an afternoon game St. Louis on Saturday. We did an afternoon game in Minneapolis on Sunday, and Monday night I had to call a Sens game in Dallas. So I called three games in three cities in three days. And that was the, the night before there was actually that, that tornado that blew through yeah. Dallas. I don't know if you remember that. Um, so it's exhausting and it's a ton of, and, and you're like, man, I hope I don't miss the flight. You're like, it, you're, you're just grinding in between. You just literally finish calling the game and you're getting ready for the next one. And then, you know, you're flipping cities and then you do it again, which is awesome. And then, okay, now I got to go pick up the Sens. Well, what did the Sens do two nights ago when I was calling a Habs game? You got to keep up to date on how they're doing and, and the other team, how are the stars doing? So, um, yeah, it's, it's busy. It's awesome. It's fun. Uh, I flip in between the Habs and go call the Scotties and the Briar and the juniors curling as well for TSN. So I think I had about 120 flights last year. So yeah, you're, you're moving, but that's, again, I wouldn't change it for anything. I, I signed up for it. I love it. I can rest. Uh, I can rest when I'm dead, man. I, I, I'll tell you, and, and you get some time in the summer to kind of recoup and, and rest up and obviously no one expected this and no one yeah. no one could have ever imagined this uh or this um <laughs> so michael i i mean 
I never ever took it for granted before and I miss it more than anybody. Um, I really do. And I just hope, I hope everyone, I hope we get healthy. I hope we get back into things the right way, but, uh, man, I, I really miss it. So when you were doing the three games in, in three different cities and three different nights, uh, how did you prepare your notes? Did you have to just uh, log on to YouTube, watch the highlights from the Ottawa and the Dallas game? Yeah, you get, you kind of, the more, I found my first season, you're just, I was just so much pressure to like, I put it on myself, but like, you want to do a good job. Everyone's looking, who's this new guy who got the Habs gig, right? Like, you know, you're, you want to do a great job for the fan base. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. It's like anything in life, though. Like, you get the reps the next season. Like, this season was a lot easier. Not a lot easier, but yeah, it gets easier, right? Like, you, you've been there. You've done that. You know the cities, the grind, the travel. For the Habs games, the Habs, you just get to know, like, the back of your hand. Because I study them every day, religiously, reading, you know, up to date all the time, talking to the players, coaches. So that not really a problem. It's... Um, and the sense, my favorite app, and I'm sure a lot of the other guys would tell you the same, is, uh, you know, NHL.com is incredible. I can either PVR the game or the NHL.com. You can watch their eight-minute replay of all the, the, the poignant parts of the game. You listen to the post-game online. You can um, grab the podcast. Like, the, the Sens radio guys do a fantastic job, so you can hear the sound and whatever. You can do – the beauty, I tell people all the time, it's harder to broadcast the Under-18 World Hockey Championship. Because a lot of these kids are new. You don't have all the information online necessarily about some of these players. You know, Team Canada, you got a pretty good handle on. But if you're not prepared to call an NHL game, it's your fault. Because it is everywhere. You've got that's all, true, yeah. that, all the stories, all the videos online. If you're not ready, that's your fault. That's, it's yeah. on you. It's all yeah, there. I will have to agree with you there. Um, so then what would be a typical game day for you? Um, so let's say it's a Montreal, let's say we're in Montreal, you, uh, they practice in Brassard, Quebec. So get up, uh, go to practice. Um, sometimes they're optional. You don't know, but you get what you can, you can discern from the line rushes. If, I mean, if it's optional, then you talk to coach in the morning. If the room's open, you usually grab one or two players or if I, um, we'll have kind of a, like a, an, like a, a email slash meeting from our producers and people working the show. So. Let's say I'm working with Mike Johnson. Mike wants to talk about Thomas Tatar uh, off the top of our broadcast. So, okay, boom, we're going to talk about Thomas Tatar. He's been red hot. He's leading the team and scoring. Perfect. So if, if the room's open and, and Thomas is available, I might just saddle up beside him and say, hey, Thomas, what's up? Maybe ask him, uh, you know, how the season's going. Maybe some tidbits. He's been maybe, I don't know, moved uh, to a certain spot on the power play or he's been you know, him and Dano and Gallagher, what's been making it work, whatever, whatever. Right. And then that way we get a little bit of a storyline for tonight. We'll talk to Claude Julian. Hey, what's Thomas been doing? What do you want to see more out of that line? Will they match up against the, you know, the Bergeron line tonight? They play in Boston, whoever, whatever. Right. And you get all that info. Then we have the stat packs that we get from the NHL. So there is a million stats, uh, but you want to grab the stuff, Michael, I want to grab the stuff that you're interested in. Right. You may not care that the Habs win 34% of the games when they get eight shots in the second period. I don't know. Like, you want stuff that's kind of, like, more exciting, relevant. So, oh, that's kind of a neat stat, you know, and that's the stuff that I'll pull out of there that I think, anyways, that you might like or find interesting instead of just some random stuff that you're, like, yeah, in your head. So, you'll prep that stuff. You make sure you know the ins and outs of the opposition in town. Let's say it's Boston. You know, where's David Posternock on the scoring 
list uh any any former teammates rivalries any bad blood from the last game you talk to maybe the visiting broadcasters five o'clock you're at the rink if you have time you grab a, the pregame meal uh last minute talk to your producers we look over the board so the stats packs that you see that we put up on the screen we'll go over those maybe some video roll-ins like um you know whatever the case may be the last meeting so-and-so had a hat trick whatever carry price had a shutout whatever so you'll talk about the video that we can roll in out of a commercial break and then drop the puck. So it all just happens like that. Like the snap of your fingers, the day must fly by very fast. Man, do I miss those days. <laughs> you know, game day. I mean, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty, you pretty much everyone, we're like hockey players. You get into your routine, right? You you know it works for you. Uh, maybe I can have an hour workout in there somewhere. Like everyone just seems game day. You, you have your routine. And if you're on the road, it depends. If you can get there the night before, then you have a little more time. Some games on a back-to-back, you're flying in after calling the game and you get in and maybe you grab a quick nap if you can and you get up, you tweak the notes. Um, usually the coach will speak at, you know, 445 at the rink because there's no no skate because they they it was it's back to back right so every yeah. every situation and day is different and again michael that's what makes it awesome every day is different like it's it's um we're i got the best job in the world i really do so how do you hope to get back to your normal uh expectancy uh, after you know this whole coronavirus is over i learned a long time ago uh and it's it's easier to it's easier to say than it is to do, but Michael, I, I try not to stress about stuff I can't control. I can't control it. What me getting worked up about something it's um, I can control my attitude every morning. I can control working out, getting a run in, keeping up to date on what's going on in sports right now. But um, number one priority is making sure people are healthy and safe and getting past this thing. Right. Uh, a lot of those decisions, unfortunately, you know, they're out of our hands. Um, we just want what everyone wants is for us to come out at the out of this thing healthy. And um, yeah, I have no clue when hockey's coming back. I wish it was tomorrow. Um, obviously, big crowds and, and people and flying and a border opening between Canada and the United States and getting tests for athletes, broadcasters. There's just so many question marks right now. Right. And, um, you know, I hope it's figured out sooner than later. So I'm like you, man. I'm just I'm trying to be the best version of myself and waiting to get back to work. I, I can't wait. So what do you think is the best option for the NHL to do? Oh man, above my pay grade. Um, honestly, I think a lot of the factors are the things I just talked about, right? Um, yeah. They don't want to put fans at risk. They don't want to put the players at risk. Um, can our airports open again? Are people now flying with masks all the time? Um, can you get tested and know the test in 15 minutes? Are there enough tests? Uh, I think people, and rightfully so, you know, the, the concern and the worry or the is on hospitals and people that are sick and, and, our, and our seniors right now in homes. Gee, I don't even want to watch the news. It's so sad. Like, it is, yeah. Every time you turn on, there's another senior's home or, or uh, um, you know, the, the, our, our, our grandparents are awful right like i have i'm i have two grandparents i'm lucky that are still alive and they're in alberta but they're kind of isolated and have lived with my mom in the basement but my grandpa's going through cancer treatments so you know like everyone you know it's it's hard to even comment like my opinion whatever like does it really matter 
I mean, there's bigger things going on out there than my opinion. Yeah. Hockey gets back. I mean, yeah, I love Michael. I love your passion for broadcasting and hockey, and I could talk hockey all day. I'm, I'm just like the next person though, wanting, just hoping our health professionals and our, it's up to our governments and our health people that are a lot smarter than I am to, to, to get it figured out. So I'm standing by like everybody else. So you, Dave Poulin, and or Mike Johnson, I've always joked about when Victor Mete was going to score, and then after 127 games, he did score. Uh, did you ever have a bet with your color partner as to when he would reach that plateau? No, we just, oh, man, he's, he's a nice kid. You just wanted him to get it, right? Um, and it's not like he hadn't had checked. It was, it was, you know what? And we're all selfish as broadcasters. We were just hoping we'd get to call it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you know, like it was cool, like to get to call his first goal and just, and to see like the bench and the relief and like Carey Price, like to see the reaction of his teammates, right? Like, and then, yeah, like then we joked that he's going to score a hat trick next game, right? Like, it's that, again, those are those little moments throughout a long season that you just, that are cool, that you remember. Like, like when Yasperi Kakariemi fought this season. Oh, and yeah. I was like everyone else. I was like in real time watching and all of a sudden gloves in their hands. I'm looking I'm like, that's 15. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's 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 the kid. And and it's like, you know, you just never know what will happen. Apparently, the, as the story went, he he was walking back after maybe doing interviews into the room. And Shea Weber's like, oh, quiet, everybody. Killer is walking back into the room here. <laughs> you know, so it's like those are cool cool little moments in a long season that you know that you think of i i'll never forget two seasons ago the carry price save an ovechkin with 0.4 seconds left to force overtime at the bell center like and then Ovi gives him the slow clap and like that's two of the greats in the game right now you know like like that's the kind of stuff that uh both vegas games uh in vegas final minute goalie pulled have score then win in overtime and that building is like to begin with so yeah there's some really cool moments that stand out and it just makes my heart hurt um i miss it i, I really miss uh miss doing it so then what would you say would be the better call kakanyemi's first career hat trick or suzuki's first nhl goal uh i don't think kk's had a hat trick yet i thought he did kk hat trick we'll have to double check that did he i don't know if i called it then uh Mete's goal was exciting suzuki Nick Suzuki, you know what I love about that kid? He just acts like he's just done it all before, you know? Like, yeah, he does. Pretty, he's pretty slick, Nick. He's pretty cool and collected. Um, there's been a lot of great OTs. Like, the Habs have had some exciting games. Like, I, I did a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, and the guys hosting, uh, Mike and John, they were like, they, they hate three-on-three. Three. I'm like, as a broadcaster, three-on-three three is the greatest thing ever. They asked me if I could change one rule, like, for fun in the <laughs> NHL. My rule... My rule would be play the three-on-three until someone scores. Yeah, I came over to the shootout completely. I agree. That's my opinion. I mean, listen, if you love the shootout, good for you. I, From a broadcasting perspective, calling three-on-three, three, number one, selfishly, I only have to keep track of three players per team on the ice. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's just so – you all they usually have you the fastest guys and the skilled guys, but, like, right? Like, it's after – after five minutes of it, you know someone's going to pop one. It's just crazy pond hockey at times, but it's how fun is it? I mean, I love it. It's, it's very exciting. It's probably the best addition the NHL has added. I, I, I love it. I mean, listen, it's, it's, everyone's got an opinion, but from a broadcaster like who gets to call those games and to see the excitement, and that's yeah, a lot of fun. 
so then you're with the Habs the majority of the regular season. Um, what's one funny story that you could share with us? A funny story? Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Like broadcasting or on the – actually, one on the air, and I'd have to even remember – where we were, where was it? Maybe it was, it was maybe Washington or Philadelphia. And it was actually an exciting game. And all I can remember, so we're up in the broadcast booth. Some of these buildings are way up there. Like Edmonton, mm-hmm. goodness, you might as well be on the moon. Um, so you wonder if we miss ID a player every now and then. The Bell Center, there's no excuse. You're literally right over top of the players. You can see their jersey name. Like, it's amazing. Um, and I just remember, like, a, like, there was about five birds that had somehow were in the building. And literally during my line of sight, like four birds flew sort of like right straight play. And I think I actually commented on the birds during the play by play and just kept going because it was like overtime or like late in the game. And it was just like, I remember I got some funny chirps on Twitter for that uh, part in the bad pun, but I was like, that was kind of funny. Like just like wild birds flying through like your line of sight, calling the game. Yeah. That's one of the most uh, strangest, most strange stories I've ever you know, heard. That one, I'd have to look back. I, I want to say it was in, in Philly or in Washington, and there was, like, birds flying through the – through. anyways, just kind of a – I don't know that stands out to me of all the things, but that was that was pretty silly. So then what would you say the best thing is about broadcasting? Many things, but I, um, being able, I think, to uh, – at least try to provide entertainment to people, um, trying to make a product uh, exciting, um, knowing that as soon as you get cue and you welcome people inside the Bell Center or wherever you are, like it's, it's, it's on you. No one's going to bail you out. There's no teleprompter. Uh, it's just, there's just an adrenaline and an excitement that comes with that that's pretty hard to replicate any, like, I don't know. I've never flown fighter jets before in my life and, you know, I'm not a daredevil jumping out of airplanes, but it's a pretty cool rush, like, to call a live sporting event. It's a lot of fun. Would you say that there's any big challenges that comes with broadcasting? I think it depends. That's such a wide, uh, wow, it's, it's, that's an all-encompassing question. Um, like, a challenge would be if you're hosting SportsCenter and you're used to the prompter rolling and the prompter breaks down. Then you have to be able to ad-lib and, you know, be good on your feet. Um, I've had wrong scripts handed to me uh, that didn't match the the video, and you just get rid of the script, and you just you just call what you see. And with hockey, it's easy because you get to know all the numbers, anyways. But if it was like, you know, an NFL game or highlight pack, you're just sort of uh, you're faking it till you make it. Um, I would say NHL broadcasting. I think it's it's just you can always learn and you can always get better. And I you know, there's obviously people that have done it for years and are so brilliant at it. It's finding, it's being able to like call the game, call the play, leave in the stories you want to tell without taking away from the play call, making sure you also involve your color person properly and timing it out to get those maybe during an icing. Uh, It's, uh, it's, it is an art to call play by play hockey seamlessly and be really good at it. And I, I like everyone else have a lot to work on and to get better. And I, you know, I love I love trying to push myself to get better all the time at it, but it's not as easy as people might think. How's that? That's uh, to weave it all in and get the stat in at the right time and maybe make sure you save one stat or story for a time where it's relevant in the show. So, yeah. 
So then uh, the last question here is, uh, would you have any aspiring or do you have any advice for aspiring journalists or broadcasters? Oh, man. Um, you know, believe in yourself, work your tail off, uh, outwork everybody else. Um, reach out to people like you did to me. Um, like grab onto anybody that, that could help you or information wise or willing to you know, give you a hand. I, I never had an uncle or a brother or a cousin or somebody that was in the business. I sort of had to, you know, make my own inroads. And But most people, Michael, and I promise myself, like, most people want to help, like, you know, because we've all, you know, started from somewhere. And most people want to uh, help you succeed and give you advice. And, and I think it's just parlaying that. And I tell people all the time, they say, what's the difference? Why do people make it or why people don't make it? And I truly, truly believe it's 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 a lot of work i mean for for years i i don't remember i missed so many holidays <coughs> excuse me not being away from home at christmas with world junior coverage or you know when is easter i forgot or i've missed birthdays anniversaries you know relationships with people like all of that a lot of that sacrifice and you're not making a lot of money when you start it's not you're not going to get rich you know um but you know, it's that perseverance and really believing in it. And if you love it, then it's not a job, right? If you can find something that you love to like genuinely love to do every day and you love going to work, well, then you've, you've already hit the lottery. So that to find that as happiness. Right. And, and it, it hit, it hits home because right now what I do is not, is it's not an essential service, you know, it's yeah. in, the, in the big scheme of things, um, you know, it's, and that's why to me, and I, I've never, but I've never taken it for granted personally, but like, yeah, it's a privilege to do what we do and I miss it. And uh, I hope I get, I hope I get the opportunity to be back doing it soon. Well, I want to thank Brian Mujic for coming on today's podcast. Thank you again, Brian. You're welcome, Michael. My pleasure.